The dead dive. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead dive. What, Todd Hunter? What, Selby? Not Chen. He's dead dive. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead dive. Hello, welcome back to Everybody is Dead Dave, the Red Dwarf Review podcast with myself, Phil Hawkins. And me, Adam Martin. We are here. We're fully into series two now of uh, of Red Dwarf in our journey through every episode. I, if you haven't watched uh, or listened to this podcast before, I am someone who has been watching since the 90s. Adam is fresh to this. He is. Hasn't watched them before this. Watch through. First timer, I know, I know. Hand in my nerd card right away. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm wearing, you won't be able to see this because we have no video on this, but I'm currently wearing an Everybody is Dead Dave t-shirt. Very apt, very, very timely. Apt, very on brand. <laughs> oh yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're now on more platforms. I mean, by the time this comes out, we'll have been on more platforms by for a few months because we record <laughs> these so far in advance. But we're now on Apple Podcasts. We're now on Google Podcasts. We're now on load of other podcast services I've never heard of. So, <laughs> and Spotify, as well as being on my YouTube channel. So, yeah, you yeah. can find us pretty much everywhere you get your podcasts from. Yeah, we're practically everywhere. You can't avoid us now. There's no excuse. <laughs> we are everywhere. <laughs> no excuse not to listen and or watch this podcast. In fact, why don't you, you know, just stick it on in the background on every <laughs> available service. Once you finish listening through to it on Spotify, just go listen to it on Apple as well. Why not? Yeah. And give you us tell a like neither of everyone. us work in advertising. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about term. Stasis Leak this we week. Are. That's the we episode are. title. Um, timey-wimey stuff. Very timey-wimey, yeah. Love it. As to... Doctor Who fans, we love a bit of timey-wimey. Yeah, good job I had my head screwed on for it. But the first point I wanted to bring up, at the very beginning, um, Holly, the ship's computer, of course, does a recap uh, of, you know, who's on the ship and then a bit of additional information, like, about what's going on. And he mentions in this case that they, they found a moon that is in the shape of Felicity Kendall's bottom. My question is... Who is Felicity Kendall? <laughs> I don't know. The name kind of vaguely rings a bell. Right. I don't know if it, I'm guessing somebody who was famous in the late 80s. That is the problem with, with having a show that runs so long, I suppose, that, you know, you, the references, the, the cultural references do date a little sometimes. Yeah, it's just, I mean, that was my assumption. You know, I thought, oh, I'm guessing this is someone of the era but i did it did make me quite it's like i think in the last episode we talked about the what was it like the oh, the vacuum thing i can't remember it was the something in vac shaken vac that's it shaken vac and then but you know but sometimes it depends how long lasting they are isn't it pop culture wise i think we also said a few episodes ago in the Crichton episode there was the neighbors reference which of course neighbors is probably a bit more long lasting for what it is so i was like oh yeah, yeah that's the neighbor's today, yeah so, well i've just yeah. googled her felicity kendall and according to wikipedia uh felicity kendall cbe is an Ooh. english actress working principally in television and theater she has appeared in numerous stage and screen roles over more than a 50 plus year career but the role wow. that brought her to attention to the world at large was that of barbara good in the 1975 television series the good life Ah, see, I've heard of The Good Life, but I wouldn't have been able to point her out and say, 
that's Felicity Kendall. So uh, yeah. sorry, and Felicity. Presumably, um, according to the boys from the dwarf, at least she has a pleasant shaped bottom because supposedly so supposedly according to holly anyway because there's a moon that's shaped like it and (laughs) they rent around it more than once more than once yeah i'm glad they ended the joke there i was like okay joke's over (laughs) yeah i was Um, was slightly worried where that one was gonna go yeah exactly but um i guess unlike a lot of red dwarf we start with uh, the episode proper with a flashback sequence presented in some lovely black and white which i i admire that i admire that choice yeah i was i was wondering because we've had flashback sequences before and they've never done this sort of stylized black and white thing i mm. don't know whether or not it was needed really i okay. i kind yeah. of get what they were going for but i don't know what yeah. do you think I, for some reason, I thought at first when because it flashes up with that caption as well, doesn't it? The three million years ago in bright yeah. red, and I thought maybe you know other black and white. Oh, it's funny. It's like you know so long ago. So let's put it in black and white. But I thought it may have been one of those instances where very quickly it then fades into color, like any for any Doctor Who fans. You know, in the two Doctors when that starts, how it's black and white for a few seconds with the second Doctor and Jamie, and then it fades into color. I thought maybe it'd do something similar, but no, I'm surprised they 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 kept it for the for the whole sequence. And um, I mean, I love black and white in general. Like, I think black and white can look really good. I don't think though some of the red dwarf like sets are suited to black because obviously, yeah, it's made to yeah. be in color. Um, so I think, and because of a lot of it's grey, as we talked about, like the set is inherently grey. And then when you're working in grey scales and monochrome, it just makes everything feel <laughs> more grey. So I admire flat, the choice. Yeah, I admire the choice. But maybe I think I would have preferred, like a, like I say, a fade. Start with black and white whilst the caption's up and then fade back into colour. Yeah, yeah. And we get Captain Hollister again. Nice to see him. Yeah. I like a bit yeah. of Captain Hollister. He's a funny yeah. man. It's nice seeing different members of the crew pop up, and I mean, we'll we'll mention it a bit later on, but it's we see a few more than the captain. But yeah, it was nice to see him pop up at the beginning, and in that flashback sequence that we see a few times, that effect where Dead Rimmer pops his head through the table for 1988, I, that was a pretty decent effect, I thought. Yeah, it's not bad. It's it's probably the best they've gotten for stuff going through Rimmer. Because they've yeah. done several things where people walk through Rimmer, various things. And I think this is probably the best it's looked so far. Yeah, I mean, even even in, um, obviously we see it in black and white first. And I must say, I think the effect actually works better in black and white. Because obviously with the techniques back then, you had you could maybe see some fringing around the mm. ends. But in black and white, you don't really see it. Whereas when you see it later in colour, it's not even that bad. But you still see it like a tiny little bit. But again for for the time and the effect and it's very smooth as well it's not like his head just appears it you know it glides through the table and i think it's it's a very seamless effect yeah and uh this this flashback scene is back when all the crew was alive and the uh rimmer has reported lister for insubordination or something like that no that was it he uh he had um He'd given him some magic mushrooms, basically, hadn't he? He'd given him some ra- yeah. magic mushrooms and caused him to have hallucinations. Um, and it ends up with Rimmer being annoyed that the captain only gave him two weeks, list a two weeks duty of painting the ship, and 
he ends up insulting the captain. With respect, sir, you've got your head right up your big fat ass. <laughs> and sticking yes. a pencil up his nose and getting even more time than Lister got. So that was that was amusing. But also, I like the fact that they're bringing in the painting of the ship because we see that at the beginning of every yeah. episode. Yeah. Lister on the outside of the ship. It's part of the opening sequence. He's painting the ship. Now we get to see this. Th th that's what it was. He was painting the ship. It's it's like you've said it's in punishment. previous episodes where they'll take little things like that that are just said and then they build on it. Like you've said, you know, with lines that appear once, but then they build on them. So, yeah, it's another it's another nice bit of Red Dwarf continuity work in its way there. I, I like can it. kind of just imagine um, the two writers just sitting like in the pub or something and then just realizing, you know what? it Dave and Dave's meant to be a, a technician that fixes uh fixes food machines but we've got him in the opening sequence painting this ship we need to yeah. explain that somehow and sure enough season two episode four there's your explanation just yeah so seamless but um the crew pretty soon or the remaining crew in the present discover there is a stasis leak aboard the ship which um at first you know when i hear the term i'm like what on earth can this mean but as you said at the beginning it's basically a bit of wibbly wobbly timey wimey action going on isn't it it's a doorway through time <laughs> it, as the cat as, says it's a magic door it's a magic <laughs> door <laughs> I, I i'm gonna go to that joke now because the whole cat going what is it it's a rent in the space-time continuum what is it a stasis room freezes time you know it makes time stand still so when, whenever you have a leak it must preserve whatever it's leaked into when it's leaked into this room what is it? Uh, it's a singularity, a point in the universe where the normal laws of space and time don't apply. What is it? <laughs> oh, a magic door. Well, why didn't you say? It went on too long and I didn't oh, find yeah. it funny at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, the I end line agree. of it being a magic door uh, and then going, oh, why didn't you just say so? That bit was a little bit funny, but all the rest of it, I just did not find that joke funny. Yeah, no, I agree. It went on too long, and you've it's actually you've actually brought nicely onto one of my next notes, which was like Danny John Jules. I do love him, like I love his energy, but some of those jokes he's being written, especially in this episode, that a lot of them did not land for me whatsoever. Like especially in the first half of the episode, before we actually get into any of the stasis leak stuff, before they cross over, like just what some of the one-liners. Or the quips. They, I don't know, they just didn't do it for me. Like, the the one that stood out, I think, was uh, in the... When they first talk about it, and Cat's, like... He's, like, knitting or fixing one of his shirts or whatever on the top bunk. And he's... There are... Lister and Rimmer are arguing, and Cat's, like... There's a wise old cat saying, which I think applies in this situation. It goes, what are you talking about, dog breath? And I was just, like, did that need the... The pre-bit. I don't know. I think it's, it's not on Danny because obviously it's the stuff he's being given. I just think a lot of the jokes in this episode for Cat just didn't work for me at all. I think a lot of time with Cat in these early seasons, they're just really trying to find anything for him to do because yeah. as a, he doesn't really have much purpose on the ship he's kind of just he just follows them around and says some lines every now and again and does an occasional cat thing at the moment and again like you said that's nothing on the actor but mm. that is purely how it's written and uh and i, th I think he d i think from memory he does get better but yeah. and he does end up doing more than that but i 
I'm now doubting myself in thinking that. I don't know. I can't remember. We'll have to see yeah. as we get further there on. Is, there is one cat moment that I did really enjoy. And actually is probably, which I'll save near the end, my contender for funniest moment of the episode, which is ironic because I was just like, oh, the jokes don't work. But there was one in particular that was like, that was a well-timed joke. It caught me by surprise and I liked it. So I'll save that. I'll save that to the end. But yeah, on the whole, though, a lot of the comedy just didn't land for me with Kat. So. Yeah, yeah. And we pretty sh- quickly find out we're in a time. I mean, we kind of got from Rimmer's, holographic Rimmer's head popping up from the table in the flashback that we're in a time, probably a time travel story. Um, mm. In fact, there's a little bit earlier than that where he kind of goes past him in the corridor and he covers it, but he's covering up his face. So you don't yeah. actually see it's Rimmer. But you can hear it's Rimmer's voice. Yeah. And he just yeah. goes, excuse me. So right then I was like, ah, time travel. Excellent. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy yeah. this because I do love a timey-wimey story. And yeah. then there's this photo um, of Kachansky, uh, say the, the name right, <laughs> uh, of her and seemingly Dave getting married that Dave finds. Yeah, which he holds on to. And, and yeah. they discover a way where potentially they could bring someone from the past or save someone from the past to lead into the future because there's a spare stasis pod on board yeah, yeah. and then of course we've got the that the rimmer of course wants <laughs> to bring himself forward oh but like, yeah, of course <laughs> did he learn nothing from the last time there were two rimmers come on me too that episode i, d- I did think that like you know and he's like oh one one dead me one living me the sunday best joke made me chuckle but I did think back to that series one finale and thought, hang on, like this clearly, I know it was two dead rimmers then, but I was like, still clearly this didn't work last time. What makes you think it's going to, it was, it was pretty overshadowed, but you know, they didn't make a big thing of it, which I guess is fine. And the concept works because it creates that dynamic of argument between, you know, Rimmer and Lister. But yeah, there was that brief moment when he said it, like you just said, I was like, hang on, like we've, we, we've done this <laughs> so i thought it would have made more sense maybe because you know in the beginning of the in the flashback we see lister reading his diary and about yeah. that woman that he really fancies i thought maybe it would have made more sense if it was like a battle of the women they wanted back like if he wanted the if rimmer wanted the woman he wrote in his diary and lister wanted Kachan- i don't know i thought that might have been a yeah. bit more of an interesting I was, sli- I was slightly disappointed that the woman that he wrote about in his diary wasn't mcgruger yeah, yeah, is because what was what was the? Can you remember the I name? Can't I know it wasn't the name, but I no, know, I know it wasn't McGruger because I thought, well, that's not the person we saw in an earlier episode. Because um, so, McGruger yeah. is basically sort of to Rimmer's Kachansky. He, you know, the one yeah. that keeps on getting brought up throughout the series as somebody that he's, you know, had a romantic liaison with, and. Yeah. Uh, so yeah i was just a surprise oh who's this other person he's referring to <laughs> what well, i kind of feel affronted on mcgruger's behalf yeah no i think it could that would have been good like mcgruger and kachansky being the two at stakes i think it would have given those two like rimmer and lister more might more stakes for them and could really put like their friendship to the test in a funny way if you want to go down that route but it, i think it would have been a more interesting fight than just from being like i'm gonna bring back myself you know so yeah uh, yeah, talking of for... talking of friendships and things, there was a we didn't get anything. You know, occasionally we get a you know really touching moment between the two mm. of them or something mm. like that. But we didn't get anything like that went quite that far this time. But it did sort of skirt on it when they were having a discussion about 
sort of moving on and you know leaving yeah. friends behind you don't stay friends with the same people forever and stuff and you know that i i recognize that from my own life you know various stages of my life i've from school i and stuff i've only like kept in touch with like one or two friends from school and mm. you know each stage of my life i tend to like have a group of friends while i'm in that stage and then maybe keep in contact with one or two of them after it yeah so it, it kind of uh touched a familiar sort of spot there no i agree it was a good it was a, it, it was in a way like one of those more tender moments but m- more played i think in this case for the comedy aspect rather than like the more se- like the serious aspect but i do think when i was hearing them talking like you said you get what they're saying and it is it's true like even I, i've had it as well it's very true you, you can't you don't stay friends with everyone but I don't think they. I think they played it for comedy because you see, Phil, we're not on the space deck, the observation deck. No. That's where you go. That's where you go to have the proper heart-to-heart moments. But because they're in the bunk, oh, we gotta, we gotta do the comedy. But <laughs> do some comedy and some um, some self-deprecating humor in there. Absolutely. Had they have done that on the space deck, it would have been completely heart-to-heart. But yeah, that's that's my theory. Space deck is where they go for those moments where we just need to calm down and have a nice. Nice little chat. A bonding moment between Mister yeah. and Rimmer. They're both pretty set on doing it. They're going to basically fight each other to get there first. And when uh, Lister goes with the cat uh, on friendships, we do see one of his old friends. Uh, we Peterson! See, yes, played by Mark Williams, who anyone who likes the Harry Potter stuff is Arthur Weasley, a very young Arthur Weasley. Um, and he's, he's great, isn't he? Even in that small little... Role he has like this episode. maybe like two minutes less than that maybe even on screen and he's brilliant in that scene yeah he's just playing it up for laughs and he's he's good i think at, i think it's something he does well in both harry potter and his appearance in doctor who as well he can do sort of quick comedy but he never overplays it do you know what i mean it's just the right amount like when he one of the funniest moments was when i can't like he just goes He's talking to those two women. He's like, and he just comes out with, "I'm very good in bed, <laughs> nowhere." And it's just, but the way he delivers it, he's just very like deadpan. It almost like Holly in a way, you know, like very deadpan about it. And it's so left field, but he pulls. Was he it off, pretending so, yeah. to be? Was Peterson pretending to be like foreign? I thought Cause this, cause he, he was putting on a slightly weird accent. Felicitations, beautiful ladies, back from planet leave. Let me take those heavy cases. My name is Olaf Peterson. I am very good in bed. Yeah, and only for like one or two lines with Lister did he come out of it. But even when he walked away, he was like, Lister, I'm going to kill you. For yeah. This. It, yeah, it was a, it was an odd, it's implying that, oh, I don't know what it was. I don't know, implying, maybe he was yeah, just was trying to sound odd. exotic for the ladies to, you maybe. know, to appeal to them. And that was his, that was his technique for hitting on them was yeah, to, because it's, Sound mysterious. His character's definitely English, isn't it? Because oh, yeah. we see that in the very first episode. He's a yeah, yeah. But no, it was nice. It was nice to see, and it's nice that well, so far anyway. I don't know about as the series goes on that for these like reprisal roles, they've managed to get the same actors so far. Mark Williams come back as Peterson. I believe it's been the same actors for you know the Captain and uh, Kachansky as well. So it's again, it's just that nice little bit of continuity um and it'll be interesting to see how long that sticks i know it doesn't stick with Crichton, as we've touched upon before but um, yeah i'll be curious just to see how long those like the side characters if you like how long they stay as the same the same actors yeah i've mentioned this on the podcast before so it's not going to be spoiling it 
for you because I've already mentioned it. But Kachansky comes back as and actually is a main character at some point, but played mm. by a different actress. And I'm I'm now going to be keeping an eye on like I'm curious about when the last time this actress appears and how big the gap is between the last yeah. time she appears here as this ca- actress and then because the, you know this for all we know this might be the last time we see her until she pops up in several years time as yeah. a different actress and I, that will probably feel better I mean if, it'll feel weird if they have her one year and then the very next year it's played by a different actress that kind of gap would make it feel better yeah no i think i think so it'd be, uh, it'd be good to sort of chronicle chronicle the gap between it all really all these little like tidbit moments and see how well they're kept in check um but one thing i must admit that made me chuckle when when lister does inquire about where kachansky is she's off planet at the was it the galloway holiday inn which and when you see the plaque, and it's clearly just the Holiday Inn plaque, and they've slapped the word, like, Galloway on it. And, you know, they, they clearly needed to save some money. They went to Holiday and said, hey, can we just can we just film here, put some sets, put some characters walking around? And, you know, but I think, again, that's part of the charm, isn't it? They're not, they're not being shy about it. They're like, we definitely just got a Holiday Inn, and we're just putting our characters in it. But, yeah, it made me chuckle. Yeah. Uh, when they go uh, back in time again... They take Holly with them in the form of a watch. Yeah, this was Apple the nineteen eighties. Pre- yeah, predicting yeah. smartwatches. <laughs> I tell you what, I would absolutely prefer to have Holly on my Apple Watch than Siri. Do you know what? Someone would probably develop like a program where it is. Like, oh, a just imagine of... if you could get Norman Lovett's voice doing yeah, all just of to respond the Siri to you. stuff. Oh, that'd be brilliant he would Debs, make a if fortune. any Debs are listening come on let's Norman love happen. it if you're listening go yeah, approach somebody about Norman. that Some, you, <laughs> yeah. I, I will download you onto my Apple watch so that we can hear your voice as Holly hey, wherever Absolutely. we are no it was and again a neat effect you know simple but again very smooth very well done didn't see any like fringing or anything like that so yeah neat little effect yeah they've um they've really because he was, Holly was very pixelated in the first few episodes of the first series. And uh, yeah. so they were putting a kind of faux, a digitalized effect on him, which didn't quite work. But now I think they've, they've got into what they need to do for making Holly look good. I think it's because they're not using Sony CRTs anymore. You see, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they've clearly upgraded from series one. The brand deal fell through. Yeah. But, um, we, as Lister and Cat go through the hotel, um, we find out, or Dave believe Dave believes that he actually uh, she actually married someone else, the other man in the picture, and he goes on this little rant um, about like those kind of people, or as he says, total smegheads. Um, but I did wonder in his description of the whole, oh yes, I'll have wine with my cornflakes and all all that rant he gives. Part of me was like, because you know the late eighties was a time of from what I've read in history and stuff and from talking with my parents who lived it, you know, it was very much greed was king, you know, yeah. in, like in, in society. It was like the, it, the rich were really rich. Yeah. You were, you're out to get rich and you would like cut anyone off to get a bit more money. And part of me thought, was this like a very subtle, not subtle, but was it sort of an attack maybe on that sort of upper class? You know, those people who go around wine with their cornflakes all that sort because of... he assumes the other person in that photo is like that i think well that's what i took from it yeah i think he's i mean 
Lister as a character is somebody who feels like he might have, um, and I don't say this in a negative way, but mm. a kind of like working class chip on his shoulder type thing, but not in the yeah. sense that it's not necessarily justified. It might be complete, completely justified, but um, but he kind of feels like, so he has that opinion of probably everyone that is um, uh, sort of of that sort of... yeah. He probably thinks it about Rimmer to some degree. Yeah, I'd argue. I'm sure he does. Because yeah. I probably think we said before, they Rimmer, both sort of... Yeah. Knowing Rimmer, he probably... That's probably reinforced it slightly as well, because Rimmer is like, is a complete douche. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, I think... Because I think we've said before, how I sort of took the characters when we first met them, Rimmer and Lister, Lister to me speaks to that, you know, very much working class lad, and Rimmer is the very uptight upper class Yes, lad. and again, no disrespect to either, but that that almost seemed like the dynamic. It's the it's the two sides of the extreme. So I just thought Lister's rant in this case. That's that's what it said to me anyway. I don't yeah. know if it was the intention, but that's immediately what I got from it when he was when he was doing it. And I yeah, that's pretty much what that I thought could have too. Been quite... I thought I, th- I took the um the wine on the cornflakes to be a sort of mirror of what I assume Lister does, which is put beer on his cornflakes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is a, uh, I mean, I don't think I'd do that, but no, it's, you know, I wouldn't. It's an int- I wouldn't it's put an interesting cornflakes, but I kind of, yeah. I, got, I, I imagine Lister probably would put beer on his cornflakes, oh, so yeah. he probably therefore assumes that posh people put wine on their cornflakes. And uh, we get a, oh, I think that comes after, but we we Kachansky does emerge from the hotel room, ushers them in, and we learn that the man she married was in fact uh dave a very uh a, a bearded from the future dave from the future and and it's interesting because from here on out they set up you know oh is it like you have to go back and in five years there'll be another opportunity and now based and when i watched it based on what you've said phil i'm like ah so in five seasons are we gonna <laughs> is that new opportunity gonna it what i mean it'll be very interesting to see if this particular thread you know, if they keep to their word, basically, and at some point in the future, they catch up on that. I'm yeah. very interested. My, that, my money would be I'm not going to spoil do, that for you. But, um, yeah. Because, uh, and that's the great, one of the great things about the show is you never know because some of the threads they create like this that you think, oh, they could do something with that or they're setting up something that will happen in the future. You know, mm. some of them they never go back to and some of them they absolutely do. So yeah. which one's are which? Yeah. You're on the edge of and, your uh, seat waiting to find out. And while and while that's going on, uh, Deadlist is trying to convince his old self what to do. But because his old self's on the equivalent of magic mushrooms, he, of course, thinks he's hallucinating and has it has quite the go-off at the captain. Oh, I love it when the captain came in in a big, massive, <laughs> like, fancy dress chicken costume. Because they'd set that up early in the episode. Because somebody had, like um walked past and had a look at a sign saying fancy dress party tonight so they'd sort of set it up and then he walks in and of course he thinks it's a hallucination because why would a big giant chicken that's talking like the captain be in your room and the captain's trying to apologize (laughs) and then he gets kneed in the groin by rimmer and had a lot of green stuff chucked at him as well yeah yeah, no, that was a, it was a good, again, good timing just shows how, as he always is, how good Chris Barry is with that sort of partly physical, but also the delivery of his lines as well. 
it was just um it was just a really funny scene not my favorite not my funniest moment but definitely a funny scene um and it uh, but back after the hotel holly gives dave a chat about you know was it it's better to have loved than to be whatever that phrase is i never remember it but that phrase you all know it the famous phrase. it's better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all is the actual phrase yeah not what he says no i know i was like he's changed it slightly and um better Dave than says, has that ever, ever so... happened to you hole and he says yes with a zx81 spectrum yes which for those who don't know was a very old computer back in the day which what did he say it was she's cheap she's stupid she wouldn't load well not for me anyway yeah he so so he changes um uh, it's better to have loved and lost than what i'm saying dave is that it's better to have loved and to have lost than to listen to an album by olivia newton john <laughs> why is that anything's better than listening to an album by olivia newton john because yeah. apparently nothing's worse than living listening to a olivia newton john album. i think it's very harsh on olivia newton john yeah i mean i've listened to her greatest hits album before and like, it's got the hits. I just think the ones that are also on there, the ones you don't know, you know, not in, one that isn't Grease or physical. They're just a bit like, eh. It's more like a bit dull, if anything. But yeah, rap, funny how they picked Olivia Newton-John. Guessing yeah. just inches, probably of the moment. <laughs> probably at that time, yeah. And, um, I mean, for me, the, like, the, the, the last scene where it all kicks off, I mean, <laughs> I was like, what? what on earth is going on? Like, because it just keeps coming and coming and coming. Lister gets brought, not Lister, sorry, Rimmer gets brought back to his bunk. He's wearing a shower cap and a, like, surgical gown. He's been sedated. He's like, oh, it's all over now. And then dead Rimmer pops up. And then, of course, uh, Lister and Cat come in. And then <laughs> revelation of, um, well, at first, uh, future Dave comes in <laughs> randomly with Kachansky. They never explain why he's there, but he just he just appears, and um, and then a future Rimmer with a thin little mustache. Yeah, so we get three Rimmers, three Listers, all in the same room. Although one of the Listers is asleep on the bed. The the, the one from the timeline they're in is yeah. asleep on the bed. Talking of timelines, I'm I'm wondering like how the time time travel works in this because. Mm. have they changed the past is this what always happened because it's mm. implied it's what's always happened because dave finds uh the stuff in what makes him learn about it in the first place is he finds it a reference to it in yeah in rimmer's diary so it's always happened which means that when in that very first episode we saw dave attempt to flirt with Kachansky up in the drive room when he was about to go and get discipline and sent into stasis by the captain. By that point, she'd already married him, but he didn't know. Yeah. I mean... And so she was probably, she, I mean, of course the writers didn't have this in mind when they were writing that scene, no, but looking back on it and looking back on the way she's quite flirty with him, having in another episode mentioning that uh, after this, Dave mentions he barely spoken to her before and he'd always wanted to, but yeah. never spoke to her. So it kind of makes sense that actually that's why she's so flirty with him there, because even though she's not spoken to him from that time much before, she has married the future him. 
Oh, it's, it's making my head spin. It, it makes your head spin, but actually, <laughs> it fits really nicely. Yeah, I mean, I think we, I think we know, you know, when it comes to time travel in any show, you've always got sort of got to be very careful about how how you do it. But I think Red Dwarf could even get away with it to some degree by the nature, you know, that it is a comedy. So oh, I yeah. think the la- you know, and the I'm last, sure if this was a proper drama, you know, you'd be analysing it, being like, oh, does that. Does that link? But I must admit, the whole time, I didn't actually think about what the time travel rules were in this world because I was just so absorbed in like the situation and the, the comedy of it all. Do you know what I mean? Whereas maybe something mm. with like Doctor Who, I'd be like, hang on, does this time travel work or in any other drama? I was only thinking of it because of that one scene that I remembered in the drive room from that very first episode. And I thought, how does that work with this? That works actually really well. And it, it makes it make so much sense. Nice when things make sense. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm sure it was a complete accident, but it's Probably, nice that it, yeah. it fits. Uh, the only other thing I had down on my notes that I was going to mention is the um, the lift scene, because they go down in the lift oh, yeah. to floor 16, <laughs> but to get yes. there, they have to go down 2,567 floors, which, for starters, yeah. there's not... You, you Often when you're watching this show, I find you forget how big this ship is meant to be, because... Yeah. They're always in the same couple of rooms. You know, they're always over in the drive room or in their quarters or whatever, or in a corridor. You don't get to see much of the ship and you kind of forget yeah. how big it is. Even when you get the exterior shots, there's nothing to really compare it to, to, to get the scale. So this is, this was a nice moment that reminded you this ship is freaking huge. Yeah. And I think the the shot just after they go down in the lift, how they use the, the shots of the model ship to, you know, do scene transitions. I think they place one great, you know, after the lift just to show like, yeah, look, this ship is humongous. And we've said before, the model work in the show, particularly on the Red Dwarf ship is, you know, so intricate and so detailed. Like, of course, they're going to do model shots of it. They want to be like, look, look at look at this ship. Look at the look at the scale of it. So, yeah, it really played to that strength, I think that scene it's so big and it takes so long to go down these 2567 floors that going on an elevator is like going on an airplane you get an air stewardess sort of on a video screen giving you a a little talk about safety welcome to express lifts descent to floor 16 we will be going down 2567 floors and for a small extra charge you can enjoy the in-lift movie gone with the wind If you look to your right and to your left, you will notice there are no exits. In the highly unlikely event of the lift having to make a crash landing, death is certain. Get nice comfy seats. It's implied by Kat that you get an in-flight meal during your journey down. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I quite like that. It was nice. Yeah, it was cute. Very cute little scene. With some dark humor as well with the cyanide pills that was always fun but <laughs> yes and she does a rather so she does a rather unconvincing fall you can sort of see her like preparing to do a very safe landing i don't i don't know i, I saw it i was like mm, don't know if i believe that fall but you know that's that's me being very nitpicky and cynical there but um what was your funniest moment phil oh god what was my funniest moment there, there was a collection of like just individual lines which I found funny, um, like when when near the very start he's talking about, oh, so you've read my diary, uh, Lister, Lister has been reading Rimmer's diary. Rimmer then says something about Lister's diary, and he says, 
Um, oh, so you have been reading my diary, Lister says this to Rimringer. Rimringer goes, yes, but at least I had the common decency to do it sneakily behind your back, which I chuckled yeah. at. I don't know if it was necessarily my funniest moment. There wasn't necessarily one major moment in this that stood out, but there was just lots of really little things like that, little lines here and there. Holly was good as well. Like being in the watch and stuff every time. Yeah, yeah. Every time Lister put you know, his hand in his trousers or something. There were some comments about like, or like under his armpit. He's like, it yeah. references the, it being like a jungle under there and stuff. Yeah. Little moments like that. Mm. What about yourself? Have you got a, is there a moment that really stood out to you? Well, I, I had one that at first I was like, yeah, that would be it. And it was the thing I mentioned earlier with Kat, when they go to the Holiday Inn and he sees the woman with like dog fur wrapped <laughs> around her neck. And he just goes off at it. And I think it's because it was so unexpected and just how much he goes off on it. It just really made me laugh because you could tell, you know, for something like that, he needed to go at that with everything he's got. And he absolutely does. But then there was one moment near the very end that trumped it for me. And I believe it's the, I can't remember if it was, maybe it was before or after. I think it was near the end where we see uh, Dead Rimmer approach his past self. And again, it's Chris Barry's delivery. He goes, in three million years, you'll be dead. And he goes, will I really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know why. It is, I think it's just the look on his face and the sarcasm behind it was so strong. And it just made me. So that was my funniest moment. Actually, that, yeah. That just that, that whole scene, actually. Rimmer slightly off his tits on drugs that he's been given. Yeah. <laughs> and being Absolutely. like, oh, yeah, he's going to say you're funny for him. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That cl- yeah, that line absolutely clinched the funniest moment for me. I was like, "Good job, Cat. You got one good joke in for me." But I'm afraid, I'm afraid Rimmer's upstaged you there, right near the very end. But what about favorite yeah, character? Was... Do you know what? I'm gonna give it to Peterson, just because, like we said, it's it, it, it is always nice to see Mark Williams, and like you said, for the for the two minutes he's on, he made me smile, he made me laugh by doing very simple or weird things, and. Yeah, it was just it was just nice to see him. So I'll I'll give it to I'll give it to Peterson. Why not? Nice. Why yourself? not? Let's make it a guest star double bill on the favorite character then, because I'm going to give mine to Captain Hollister, and nice. and it's mainly for the chicken scene. I got to be honest. I love I love <laughs> Captain Hollister, and even when he's just being like the captain. But when he came in in the chicken suit and that whole scene, that was great. Actually, maybe that's my funniest scene. <laughs> Yeah, yeah that, I mean... that's my funniest moment and my favorite character, Captain Holly Hollister in the chicken costume. Good choices. Good choices all around, I think. But what about a rating, Phil, out of 10? What are you thinking? Oh, I've gone back and forth on this because I do really like it. I like the plot and I love a timey-wimey plot. And this yeah. is a great timey-wimey plot. Um, but there were, it does have a couple of, you know, some of the usual criticism, slightly cat being underused. Some of the jokes don't quite yeah. land. I, so it's not perfect. Uh, I don't know. I might give it a eight. Eight out of ten. Eight. eight out of ten okay. scutters. Eight scutters. Nice. Uh, I think I'm afraid I'm going to go one lower than you. I'm going to give it a seven. Um, the moments that made me laugh, like I mentioned, really did make me laugh. But sadly, I think in this episode, they were a bit few and far between. Um, I think, like I said, with Cap, but also with... The regulars as well. Just I think a lot of the jokes in this episode, for one reason or another, just didn't land with me for whatever reason that might be, uh, which is fine. Comedy is subjective, um, 
but yeah, it just didn't work for me this time. Um, again, like we said, Cat being underused, some of the um, some of the timey wimey stuff for me. Only at times moving a bit too moving a bit too fast. Not saying I'm unintelligent, but just like I was like, whoa, hang on, let's have a let's have a minute. But I know they're only working with a half an hour format. And also the very the very ending, uh, Rimmer just screaming "Go away to everyone." It was kind of a underwhelming end. I thought it's another one of those Especially... blunt Red Dwarf endings that just kind of it just ends suddenly, and they do yeah. they do this a lot. Yeah, and I mean, it, I just think it could have been replaced with another one liner that was funnier. Like because he does that whole uh, right, he's like, "Right, I'm going to make a speech." From that alone, you know he's going to go off. Like just the way with everything going on, I just think him screaming "Go away" just didn't really. It wasn't. It didn't justify that build. I think, especially with all the insanity building, you know, all these different rimmers and listers appearing, and all you're gonna say is, "Go away." And I know it's because he's been on the drugs and stuff, but I don't know. I think I just would have preferred a different line for the ending. Keep the structure of the ending, but just say say something else. But yeah, I'd give it a solid seven, though. Still a fun episode. I I had a fun time, but yeah, not definitely not the best of what we've seen so far, in my opinion. Fair enough. Well, that's Stasis Leak. What did you think of it? If you are on YouTube, if you're watching this on YouTube, let us know in the comments below. And while you're there, do all the YouTube things. You know, hit the like button, hit yeah. the bell button and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. That's mostly where you can find me on the internet is my YouTube channel. If you happen to be listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anything, then do check out my YouTube channel. It's Philip Hawkins, just my name. And I talk about Doctor Who and other stuff a lot. I'm not the only one with a YouTube channel, though, Adam, am I? What, have you, <laughs> what do you talk about? Um, sort of similar to yourself, a, a variety of pop culture, uh, Doctor Who as well, but also things like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Now that's what I call music, a lot of classic TV as well, uh, TV history, presentation, level, that sort of stuff. Just a bit of everything, really. If you have a look, I'm sure you'll find something you like. Just type in Adam Martin on YouTube. That's Martin with a Y. And uh, I should pop up. So, yeah, again, like with Phil's channel, do all the usual stuff. Subscribe, check out some stuff. Let me know what you think. And, um, yeah, I hope you, we, well, we hope you enjoyed this this episode as well. Um, and we, anything else we need to say? I always forget what I need to do at the end of podcasts. Uh, I, sh- I think we covered it. We did the usual self-promo. Self-promo. Oh, and, of course, I should uh, mention the lovely people that have contributed to our opening oh, yes, sequence. Uh, Sophie Arles, who did the illustration. Um, Stephen Kingsbury, who did the music, and uh, George Shard, who did the uh, put it all together into the wonderful opening sequence we've got that you will have only seen if you're watching this on YouTube. Which which you should as well, even if you've just listened on audio. Go and check out the YouTube version for the illustrations. Yeah, those three. Put some while you're doing the ironing. Some hard work. (laughs) Brilliant. Well, we'll see you next time. Goodbye. We shall. Bye. Bye.